This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y Tune Shuffle. This has a this has a when's your mom gonna be home feel to it. A little bit. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, we, yeah. We, we got into dad's videos. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, a, that's all Adam's doing. Well, this is the future, I think. Going to people's homes, if they if they're comfortable accommodating, I think we can get a lot more bang for our buck. We just need a table and a plug. A ta- yeah, we could buy table it. and a plug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to Y Tune Shuffle. This episode coming at you live from our guest place. Yeah, Quentin Flynn. <laughs> That's me. That's you. Happy that you're here. I'm. Thank you so much for allowing us to kind of take over your living room here. Uh, we're in the heart of Hollywood. This right? is this is really cozy. It is. Yeah. yeah. And, Sitting on in an on awkward plush way. Pillows. <laughs> yeah. Awkwardly intimate. No. Well, let's let's describe the 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 scene that we're in. It, it is is Hollywood apartment. Very, very nicely decorated, beautiful Asian or Indian type rugs. It mm. feels very bohemian. Yes, very yes. Bohemian. Yeah, where you're welcome to sit on the floor. Yeah. Which we are doing. And do you have the pillow? I do. Good girl. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost could be a version of Jeannie's bottle. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how did a... how did this come about? You're living here in this particular part of LA. Well, I found having a bo- been here for many years. I found a bottle, I rubbed it, and it <laughs> came to Jeannie and she said, Oh master That's where this <laughs> and is. And I said, Jeannie <laughs> Roger And the, Oh Tony. And that's the voices. Right. Absolutely. And major pillows. Which is which is your whole forte. That's right. That's why we're interviewing mm. Voice Quentin. actor. Mm-hmm. And you you have wow, quite a Quite a resume. Yes. Quite a quite a CSV, yeah. as they would say. It's quite um, extensive. Do you have a favorite character? Because I could list a bajillion of them. Not really. Um, whatever one I'm doing at the time. That's your favorite. Makes me the happiest. Okay. Um, the one I connected to the most was Crash Bandicoot. Oh, really? Sonic. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I cool. I was a Sega Genesis kid, so. Right on. Yeah. Nice. And you're like, I don't, yeah. Okay. I vaguely remember that. What? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, I've done, honestly, I've done so much. If you tell me what the character was then i would remember uh-huh i assume it was engine did you look it up well i mean i can pull it back up on yeah. the imdb well um, I, I know that was my nephew alexander's favorite i seem to remember doing a character like peter laurie you know but engine it might have been like this um and i thought there was a race going on right yeah, that's, in, that's in which Sonic. case I would have been one of the announcers doing the play-by-play, and I pulled up the late Howard Cosell to tell you about the race that's going on in front of you right <laughs> now. Yeah, that's amazing. How did you get started? Um, well, I started doing impressions as a child as early as the age of eight. My dear friend Billy Russ and I would uh, go into his parents' basement, which had a pool table and a bar and a stereo and we would actually sit down and listen to horns honking in the distance. <laughs> hey, we, we are in an intimate location. The street's right outside. We can deal with it. That's right. And um, we would make lists of uh, people we wanted to do impressions of, usually from talk shows, late night or daytime. And back then it was, uh, that's a night show with Johnny Carson. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's yeah. good, yeah. Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Dinah Shore. And then we would do impressions of Impressionists' impressions. So we would do impressions of Rich Little, Frank Gorshin, Fred Travelina, and John Biner. Mm-hmm. Whatever impressions they did, we would do. Of them doing the impression. Correct. Those were our teachers. You and Billy West. Uh, Billy Russ. Billy Russ. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to make sure. <clears throat> no, Billy and I have worked together. I've known Billy I, West for years. I, I, that I knew, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. So who is Billy Russ? Well, he was a childhood friend. Okay. And it just turns out we had this same interest. And I don't even know how we came together on it, except we were probably doing voices and impressions in class and school mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, making fun of other friends, as you do, mm-hmm. or as I did. And still do, because, you know, somebody's a character and they're they're easy to emulate or impersonate. And uh, I started out drawing as a child and so, you know, copying things. And I found I had the same ability when it came to voices. That's incredible hmm. and what, not easy to do. And what kind of environment were you raised in? What what part of the country? What was the home life like? Brothers, sisters, parents, the whole he's deal. Got, he's diving right in. Yeah, I know. I was uh, know. raised. Well, how does this happen where the creative process and this inspiration, I mean, is there something unique about it or was it well, I don't, Ozzie and Harriet? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. the rock and roll capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we lived in Cleveland Heights till I was about three. We moved out to a uh, northeastern suburb called Mayfield Village. Very idyllic. I like uh, that place. Lovely. My I, name is Maggie Mayfield. I know. <laughs> and I graduated from Mayfield High. Wow. Yeah. So Mayfield's been in my life and you have been in my heart. Oh. <laughs> so there you go. Yep. And uh, and it was a lovely place to grow up. Um, my dad was the son of Irish immigrants. Mm. He was an electrician, a fireman, and... He sponsored our softball team and managed. Uh, he was also a councilman, mm-hmm. very active. My mom was active as well, a great homemaker. And uh, also, gosh, she did stained glass. She did, um, what do you call them? Those, those things, 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 things. There. there. Wow. We're on, We're a, on trip a trip right, right now. now. How do we get the reader? Hey, this is Jim. Now it's time to let you in. I am the Lizard King. And if you know Parliament Funkadelic, Maggot Brain is coming next. Here on WMMS. Well, we went off into my magic land where I was raised. It's a psychedelic trip. Let me t- Oh, sure. Just when I was going into Strawberry Fields. No. Why is it that? Do it again. Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. <laughs> Yoko, she turned it off. For those of you that might be wondering what just happened, we have no explanation other than it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And we did get the bulk of Quentin's home life. Set up. Situation. Kind of, yeah. Mom, dad, you know. And- I gave you that, and I have a brother, Bart, and, uh, you know, we just were weaned on wonderful TV, film, theater, mm-hmm. all kinds of music. Uh, my dad liked country. Uh, we, there was a lot of Irish traditional music playing. Um, 
My mom played us everything that was happening that she had in her record collection from the 60s oh, cool. on into the 70s and forward. Nice. And um, I was a Beatle head from mm. the time I was two. Mm. In fact, um, there's a picture of me that uh, my folks took where we would be watching a re- reruns of the Ed Sullivan Show when mm. the Beatles appeared. It was 1964. Mm-hmm. So it would have been like 65, 66 um, I would have taken a uh, magazine or a book off of the coffee table, put it on the floor in front of the television set, and picked up my toy guitar or toy banjo, and I would have played along. That was my stage, the book. Nice. Wow. As I watched the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it carried on, and I got into theater, and high school I had a rock band, and I've been playing music ever since. Played, I used to do that you know, similarly with stuffed animals on the couch and that was my audience and so I would sing Madonna Whitney Houston yeah all those and that would be with my hairbrush like right on the couch it was like oh the best yeah yeah my own concert right yeah and you guys in both in high school Maggie and Quentin you guys got into it in high school yeah see I was a closeted performer really high school I wanted to do it I, I almost auditioned for the play but I was kind of on that that fence between jock insecurity yeah and and this wanting to come out as a, as a creative person i could do the class clown thing sure but i i really i talk to young people sometimes uh as part of my work and that's one of the and biggest part things. of your pedophilia live from my cell isolation but uh, <laughs> epstein i i said i wish you know I, I that is a huge part i think of you know, getting to a certain place is getting involved early, you know, and anything mm. that your parents can kind of encourage and do it. And, and you certainly you certainly did. Yeah, I th- I just kind of, you know, t- took in what w- was given. And, and uh, my dad's side of the family, they were very uh, lively mm-hmm. and every party was a party. Yeah. You know, the Irish side, they were always drinking and singing and carrying on and it was fun. Mom's side was a little more staid, but still a lot of great dry humor mm-hmm. and there's also some kind of a connection between uh, cleveland and uh, to the north of the great lakes there uh toronto oh, right. there's a very similar sense of humor and sensibility that we have culturally mm-hmm. oh, yeah and i don't doubt that it is um residue or influenced by uh, the english and the irish uh which are heavily populated there yeah. and also you've got the weather that i know makes Ugh. A uh, well, possible cynic or uh, you know, humorist out of anyone. Yeah, yeah. With the changing seasons, I love Cle- Cleveland. Is like kind of a secret. I feel like in the Midwest that nobody really addresses. It's yeah. amazing, and I loved the Rock Hall. Yeah. so much. And I'm my career has been in radio broadcasting. So when I went down there, and I figured out they have like an entire radio exhibit. I think down yeah. in the basement, and like if. For those who live in Southern California, for K-Rock, they have a whole bunch of um, the music clocks. So when Jeb the Fish would like write in like the songs and the programming for the hour, you could go and like look at all that stuff. So it was really neat to see where all these radio people were coming from and all of their memorabilia. I could spend days, just days in there. It's Same amazing. here. Yeah. Yeah. I did radio in, uh, when I was at Kent State University <gasps> and uh, loved it. Yeah. And... Um, and was weaned on rock and roll radio go- growing up and did some of my earliest DJ work again at eight with Billy Russ. We would start recording stuff on tape and oh, yeah. talking and pretending we were DJs. Yeah. You know, and I went to the rock hall too 
and a friend was on the air, so we went in to check out what was going on there. Wow. Um, so yeah, I love it. I just like yourself. I could spend hours and hours. Yeah. Do you ever go to the Grammy Museum downtown here? I've been a few times. Yeah, okay. for live performances. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to see Sting down there once. Oh, great. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing, and he was just like. He was like, I just love music, and I just love instruments. And I like, just love music. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Look, I mean, you look know. at my muscles, sinewy. Yeah. <laughs> look at me as I sit here, cross, <laughs> cross-legged. <laughs> Don't you want me? I know you do. <laughs> mm, you're nasty. Sting, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yeah. indeed. Now I will suddenly segue into James Mason and Lolita. You've been a nasty girl, Maggie. Oh. <sighs> How did you know? I know. I've been watching you. I mean, I've been talking to your teachers. Stay away from those nasty boys. Oh, God. You should see his eyes. They're like popping out of his head. Yes. And then I put them back in. A cavalcade of stars, ladies and gentlemen, yes. here. Both eyeballs are glass. Quentin, I'm so excited. Wow, that's that's great. One time I was working for a radio station, and you know, the radio people are just cuckoo bananas because we sit in a room by ourselves all day and talk to ourselves. Yeah. But lots of people are listening. You don't know. Anyway, one of our, the morning show guys I was working with, Rob and Louise, him and his wife, and we all had this like holiday party, and it was very well known that one salesperson had a glass eye. And she's very beautiful, very beautiful, right? And so Rob <laughs> uh, had went one too many Manhattans. Yeah. To drink, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone else dared this very lovely saleswoman to put her eye in his <laughs> glass. <laughs> and sure enough, he's like, I'm done. I gotta go home. I gotta do a show in the morning. She's like, No, have another drink with me. And sure enough, he takes a drink. He's like, I've got my eye on you forever, Rob. <laughs> oh. so oh. Did he see it after the fact? Oh, but I'm I love it. <laughs> the inner eye. That's that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. The good sense of humor. I know, but then you'd think when you pop the eye back in, it'd be a little tingly from all the alcohol. Stingy. Stingy, yeah. yeah. I would am- yeah. You're bringing me back. <laughs> Sting. Get out of here. Uh, you selfish stung. bastard. All right. Grew up, grew up in Cleveland. I'm excited to hear your fave five song. Well, first round of fave five songs, because... Apparently, this was very difficult to choose. So. It was. It was. I uh, whittled it down. I started at five, got up to 39, and then... Started at five. <laughs> yeah, and then got down to nine, to seven, and I may reference a couple of them if I can think of them. Of course. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, here we go. This is your song number one. And I say that something. I want to hold your I know these guys. Mm. It's great stuff, you know. When I was touring with Beatles, we, um, we, you know, last tour we did '66, so we couldn't hear ourselves because girls like you were screaming so much. Oh, is that you, what it was like? Yeah, you loved us, you know, tinkling and all that. And you're a Beatles head. I mean, you've already mentioned that, like, you're, since you were two. Yeah. So why this song in particular? Because it was the first song that grabbed me. As a child, it just stuck with me. You from know? Meet the Beatles, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, Meet from, the Beatles. Yeah, Meet the, the Domestic, the American release, mm-hmm. Meet mm-hmm. the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I think they probably released it on a Hard Day's Night soundtrack. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But here we got the the blue kind of sepia cover yeah, yeah. of Meet the Beatles. Mm-hmm. In, Amer- in uh, England, it was a black and white cover. Oh, okay. So the uh, track listings were different back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And... Um, Listening to my mother's collection of records, she had Meet the Beatles, but at the time, 
The Beach Boys were also on the same label, Capital, yep. and she belonged to a member of a record club. And when they mailed her the Meet the Beatles album, inside was a Beach Boys album. So there were a number of years where I couldn't hear that song, and I was obsessed. So, so in the jacket <coughs> was a was a Beach Boys album inside of a Beatles jacket. Correct. Like, oh wow. wow, that's like yeah. a collector's item or something. Yeah, in a weird way. yeah, in a weird way. <laughs> and, you know, and we listened to that too, and that was cool. And I yeah. liked the Beach Boys. But when I had the opportunity to get my mom to take me to buy m- my first LP, it was Meet the Beatles. Nice. Oh, that was your first. I was going to ask you because mine was live at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, that was the. Oh, first. that was a great album. Yeah, my stepmother gave it to me, and and to this day, it's it's. That's the Beatles. There are so many Y tunes connections for a lot of us for the Beatles. Yeah, and, and I, I just, yeah, I had a best friend. We knew every lyric to almost every, of, you know, the Red and the Blue album and all. Of sure. That. So this was your first. Yeah, I mean, it was the one that that struck me the most because of its dynamic, uh, you know, expression, and there's just something to it that every time you play it. Uh, you can't not be happy, mm-hmm. right. you know? And the changes that they have in the songs are amazing musically. And I think it's interesting, too, that Dylan, when he met the Beatles, you know, he said to them, uh, I really like that line when you say... Um, you, uh, this is my like, Y-Tunes nugget, by the way, that he's about to drop. Get oh, high. Yeah, I can't... I, I get high. I get high. And Lennon was like, now that we were singing... I can't hide, Bob. It was love. Oh. You want to get high? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I can visualize it now with the with the voices. And that's the nugget you came up with, maybe? Mm-hmm, that was the nugget. So Synchronicity, Mayfield. I think so. Synchronicity, yeah, baby. I think so. Um, so wait, talk about your room a little bit. Like, where would you listen to this music? Um, well, my brother and I would listen to it on the stereo that was in the house and um, just play album after album. But then as I got older, I was able to have a stereo in the front living room, um, which I then added headphones to. Mm. And I would sit in my blue beanbag chair. Mm-hmm. And by then, I was into the ele- electric light orchestra. Oh, um, yeah. Which... You know, Yellow. they lovingly referred to as Son of Beatles. You know? <laughs> I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, Lennon, I think, said it, or McCartney. They would say, ah, Son of Beatles. Yeah, he was on a radio show hosting as a DJ one time, and he said, here's a great track that I love. I think it was Showdown. Mm-hmm. He said, from a group uh, I call Son of Beatles, ELO. Oh. And so I was into their album, A New World Record, which had Do Ya, Living Thing, and Telephone Line. That almost made my top five. Mm. And then Out of the Blue, which was a two-record set. And I would sit there, and it had all of the lyrics for both albums. And I would just memorize every word to every song on that two-record set. Right. And look at the spaceship inside and memorize the artists in the group. You know, besides Jeff Lynne, Kelly Grocott on bass, Bev Bevan on drums, Mick Kaminsky on violin, Hugh McDowell on cello, Richard Tandy on piano, and uh, I'm leaving out someone, but someone will. Did you ever see ELO live? I did. I didn't. I couldn't do the spaceship tour. I was too young. It was Mm -hmm. '77, I think. I asked my parents, and they said, "No, we're not taking you to Cleveland Stadium." Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Post Woodstock, Cleveland. Yeah, I was like, okay. But in 1981, they had the Time Tour, Mm -hmm. so I did see them at the Richfield Coliseum. 
and I was not disappointed. In 77, that would put you at what, what grade level? Um, that's an excellent question. I was probably seventh grade. 77? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to do the math, too, because I'm born 64. Yeah, same here. Okay, yeah, so we're about the same age. It's my guess, 77. Yeah, yeah, because there was a select few listening to the Beatles and, and ELO in, in upstate New York elementary school, Fall Creek Elementary School. Did you have, it was, you know, Billy Ross, obviously, and you and he shared some stuff. But sure. Were you unique among your peers <clears throat> listening to that music, listening to the Beatles and ELO? Or yeah. were you aware of a lot of your peers doing it? No, I. I mean, I. Uh, kindergarten when kids were bringing in the Partridge family and the DeFranco mm-hmm. family and mm-hmm. Captain and Tennille and mm-hmm. uh, Bob, you know, I. I was and Bobby Sherman. Uh, I brought in the Beatles' Revolver, which you know was, was a mm-hmm. seminal album for them. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was just because you could bring important. in. It was very important. Yeah. But as you know, I was four or five years old, right in kindergarten, mm-hmm. walking in with Revolver, and the other kids were. You know, they'd play and they'd listen, but they didn't know how important it was. So, well, but, this is this is know. particularly fascinating to me because I, I I share a kindred spirit, I think, with you and my buddy Bill Elliott. You yeah. know, and he and I were kind of a little bit outcast. You yeah. know, kind of the goofier guys that nobody got. We weren't super great at sports, but there was a talent show, and I was able to talk the very best athlete from my sixth grade class and his sidekick, who was one of the top five athletes in our elementary school, my friend Bill Elliott and I, for our talent show, we lip synced. Um, <laughs> well, she was just 17, you know. Saw her standing there. Saw her standing there. Yeah. And Helter Skelter. Nice. <laughs> we, 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 we did both of those yeah. songs. Got this raving response. Like it was the one of the few times that I was actually in that time of my life, elementary school and junior high, having lip-synced the Beatles and, and been able to share this experience and feeling on top of the world. But for some reason, after the show, I won't say their names because I think they listen to this. We're Facebook friends now. But the two guys that were in the band roundly beat the crap out of me on the playground. It was the what? most bizarre what? thing. I think that they were just sort of like uncomfortable with that kind of – it was a weird experience. Like we, yeah. were, we, did this, we did this great performance, bowed and everything. And I don't know if it was like a – like a jock thing, like they were nicely. But I was like, at the end of the day, was, I went home. My glasses were like bent oh, up. No. Were you the front man? I was. Yeah. And where, what, yeah. What Bill was. Bill was uh, Paul. I was John. Oh, and were the other? And two they guys? were just doing the guitars and the George Harrison or the drums and the George Harrison. Right. So you were getting more of the attention. That might psychological. That might be what it was. That's what it you was. Because usually it was like picked last off the wall. That might. That's, I never thought because of it those that guys way. weren't lip syncing. Were they? No, they were just on stage, and I think we were all shocked at the response we got. Right. Because lip syncing wasn't super popular. The Beatles weren't a super popular group right. in elementary school. It well, was you, the Partridge Family. It was that. Yeah, stuff. And you and Bill got the love because you were fronting it and yeah. you were lip syncing it. Yeah. So you were the stars. That's right. So they were jealous. See now it all. Comes, this is how it works. Yeah. That, I, yeah. that that explains it, doesn't it? That's so why I'm going to put up a shingle and get paid for my services. I was there just you saying, go. I'm like, I think you're in the wrong way to work. <laughs> I know. I feel so much better about that. You should. I, I did this damn good beating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never had a problem with any of that stuff, to be honest. No. I, you know, no. I was you're so lucky. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was an entertainer. I was a class clown, but I also did my homework. I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, what sports? Mm-hmm. I did. Well, let's see, junior high, it was basketball, uh, football. Mm-hmm. High school, it was cross country mm-hmm. soccer basketball 
And, and you know, I kind of crossed over once I got into the plays. I took a friend of mine, Mike Bogo, mm -hmm. who said to me, let's, let's, let's join the plays, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'd been doing fine art until then. Uh -huh. uh, but I wasn't comfortable with the way in which the art teachers were guiding us, which was into a more structural uh, graphic design uh, way of doing things, which included uh, math, mm -hmm. you know. Oh. And I liked free flow mm -hmm. so I was done and he said let's do the plays and I went I'm not sure I mean because seniors seemed like 35 year olds to me <laughs> yeah. I, know, I, know. I was Absolutely. terrified and yeah. we were freshmen and he said no no it's good my brother Dan's in it it's a lot of fun there's a lot of chicks that's yeah, the bottom that's line and I went okay cool let's do it and, <sighs> and I was just a natural and so I did every play I did third what was it uh, 11 I performed in 11 of 12 plays in four years and the one I didn't perform in I did um, uh, set work and I believe it was because my uh, drama teacher wanted to teach me something about humility uh -huh. and uh -huh. also about everything right yeah. Yeah. you know is there a standout experience in high school for play character Nathan Lane in Guys and Dolls mm. also played by Nathan why did I say Nathan Lane? No, it was uh, Nathan, Nathan Detroit. Detroit. Mm -hmm. Nathan Detroit, mm -hmm. uh, who Nathan Lane went on to play on Broadway. Broadway. Mm -hmm. And then he was Timon in The Lion King. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I replaced him in the animated TV series Around the World with Timon and Pumbaa, and I played Timon. Nice. So oh, that was our bizarre connection. That's wonderful. Um, and then I had a rock band my senior year, um, which was great fun. And the drummer in my band, you know, he he kind of had a certain universe of people, and I had a certain universe of people, and we actually brought everybody together. Wow. So What was the name of the band? It was The Stop. <laughs> yeah, because then back then the bands were like The Clash, mm -hmm. The Who, yeah, The yeah. Fix, uh -huh. The Fall. And the I, Stop. And I saw a stop sign. But Michael and I, Mike Bogle, we had been stealing stop signs at the time. Uh-huh. In Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. Outside of Cleveland. And I thought, well, we'll just fancy a the on top of it. Uh. And we're going to use those at every gig. And then we made a business card that was vertical instead of horizontal that my brother, Bart, designed that said, The Stop, where good rock and roll starts. Oh. That's cool. And, yeah. And what did you do? Were you singer? Lead singer. Did you play... Guitar? Not in that band, no. I was just the front man and the leader. And um, we actually came together as a result of two different bands. My friend Mike started a band I was a part of called Looking Glass. And there was another band um, called... Oh, why can't I remember their name? It'll come to me mm -hmm. as we're talking. Mm -hmm. and, and they did their thing. So you had two bands at cross ends. And uh, the drummer from the other band invited me over for a rehearsal to see if I wanted to join their band. But I had another idea. Mm -hmm. I was to take his bass player and guitarist to then form my own band with mm. Kirk from this other band and knock off a couple other guys to create the stop. Mm. And that would stop any competition. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. How far did you guys go? Did you? We played the club scene in the Cleveland and Akron area. Yeah. We played the Akron Agora, the Sahara Club. Um, we did festivals and things like that. And then... In high school? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, a friend of mine, Mike Paglia, said to me, he's like, you know, you guys are good enough. You could play the Agora. I'm like, the Agora? Like, there was a whole series of Agora ballrooms throughout uh, the U.S. And yeah. I said, how could we get in there? And he's like, 
He's like, my cousin Fior, or maybe it was his uncle. He said, go have a meeting with him. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, bring a, a tape, your best tape of you guys playing, and uh, you know, you'll, we'll do a meeting. So Kirk and I went, and I was terrified, you know. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of uh, mafioso, shall we say, mm. you know, in the Cleveland area. Yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. Great Italians in my school. Mm-hmm. It was just natural mm-hmm. to hang out. But when we went to meet Fior, it felt like I was meeting the Godfather. <laughs> we walked into the club, and here's this guy who's like 4'11", and he had two big muscle-bound bouncers next to him who were like 6'2". Mm on either side and uh, we said yeah we're here to see Fior and he came up he goes I'm Fior said um, Quentin Kirk Mike Paglia sent us oh you're the boys from the neighborhood come on in it's good come on sit down sit down so Kirk and I sat down opposite him and he listened to the tape and he liked it and he said you guys are good you're good looking boys you know I tell you what uh, you have a good time here you play your music Young girls like you, you get fucked and blown all over the place. <laughs> Deal. Yeah, I'm like, we're like okay, uh, yeah. okay, okay, what, what else? Do do? Yeah. All right, well, then you go back. You, you make sure you do a good set for me. Good. I have you back. You're not so good. I pull the plug. <laughs> I pull the fucking plug. And? And then what happened? Well, I thought that meant we were going to get killed. <laughs> And my friend Kirk was like, no, he doesn't mean that. He just means we won't come back again. I said, I don't know which he means, but what I mean is we're going to nail this shit. Uh-huh. And we came back. We played the club. And Paglia was there along with Capretta and uh, Collada and Velada and, you know, mm-hmm. all our dear friends. The fellas. And, uh-huh. You know, and some of my girl and Kirk's girl. And we nailed it. We killed it. And so we just kept coming back and playing and That's playing great. and playing. That's amazing. And now, we, why did you stop? Well, you had a voice acting career to get to, but well, eventually, yeah. yeah. Well, I went to university, and um, so we had to postpone the gigs because I was away at college. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I'd come back in the summers and eventually put together another band, different name, mm-hmm. on the edge is what it was called, uh, based on the baby's last album. So I was a big Babies mm. fan, John Waite, oh, yeah. Missing You. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. So we did that for a while, and. Um, then, within 10 months after I graduated Kent State University with honors in radio, TV, film, and theater, mm-hmm. my dad kept pushing me to get a job. And uh, as they do, parents will do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, I'd already checked out Chicago. I'd checked out New York. My cousin wanted to move to L.A. to be a rock star in the hair metal scene that was happening in 88. And he was in my band. And I said, well, I'll help you move. Uh, I need a vacation. I need a break. I've got a headshot resume, audio demo, video demo that I'd produced from hosting a video music show in Cleveland. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and um, I said, I'll give it a shot. And so I came out, and it became a permanent vacation. I just never left, Hmm. you know. Wow. And uh, my cousin and I lost each other once I got my rental car (laughs) because we didn't have pagers back then or cell phones. So I'm following him onto the 405 and oh, lost early days. him. Early days in L.A. Didn't have his address. He didn't have mine. That was it? That was it for months. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Really? For real. Jesus. Wait, so how did you reconnect? Through our mothers. Like, uh, he contacted his mom. She contacted my mom. Mom contacted me with his number. I called him. And wherever he was staying, 
you know, he was unwelcome at that point. He needed a place to flop. Uh-huh. And I had already gotten an apartment that I was staying in with three other people, a one-bedroom. Nice. I slept on the floor. Welcome to L.A. A, bo- uh-huh. a cardboard box was my chest of drawers. Yeah. Oh, God. And uh, You I were s- happy. You I were was. Like, this is awesome. I was. I was oh, happy yeah. as a pig and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. You know, yeah. fantastic. And uh, I said, dude, they're all moving out. I have a place you can move into. Mm-hmm. So come. And he did. And we lived uh, 1939 North Argyle, which at the time was uh, so dangerous. There were uh, drugs, um, get, gun shooting, pimps, pushers, you know, hookers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we had bars on our windows. That's hel- near uh, Jumbo's Clown Room down that way? Jumbo's is a little further, yeah. well, a little southwest, Okay, you know, not terribly far, but where we were then, it was so bad mm-hmm. that they took Curtis Slewa's guardian angels who were active on the New York City subways sure. and put them on our street. No kidding. That's when I went, I, I guess we don't live in such a good neighborhood. <laughs> wow. But we didn't know. We didn't know. You're just happy and- Just happy to be here. Yeah. And you know, we had a jobs at 2020 video. Oh, God. Which was inside of uh, uh, Ralph's. And it was, you know, the, the manager was Mary Coley from England. Uh, <laughs> the 2020 video? Yeah, of Irish descent. And the owner was Reza Amin. <laughs> Armenian? From the Middle East, you <laughs> yeah, know. Okay. Yeah. And maybe maybe Armenian. Uh, and then there was, uh, gosh, there was Don, Don Mura, who was uh, half Japanese, half American. And there was Rick, same thing. Then there there was a Filipino fella. And a Filipino woman, and then there was Jersey Mike. Uh, it was just a crazy, you know, mix of people. Yeah. At the 2020 video, 2020 video in the Ralph, Ralph supermarket, yeah. off of what Santa Monica? Hey, oh Sunset? no, it was on Sunset and Western. I know that's I, yeah. okay. Yeah. There's a McDonald's there, right on the corner. Yeah, it might I be a John's on, now. I'm not sure. Because I lived on Harvard. Boulevard, okay. Yeah, for many many years. Not far after the after. The, the troubling times. Yeah. It was just starting to pick up. It was rough. I remember. Well, I, I heard about it. I didn't. I and and all our, 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 well, our clients who would come in were uh, largely of Armenian descent uh-huh. uh, or, or origin. And one would come in with a family who spoke mm-hmm. a little English. Yeah. And they always wanted gangster films. <laughs> so he'd come up to me and go, my friend, my friend, I want from you, for me, uh, you have the Lepke. Or do you have the uh, Once Upon a Time in America? Godfather, oh, yeah. anything that was a gangster film, training films, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah, training films. That's exactly and I was like, you know, but my friend, my friend, for you, for me, I get, I go, I can't give you a, a deal. It's <laughs> just a corporate yeah. place, yeah. Man. And, and you know, I don't have. If, I mean, if you, if you have something for me, like a goat or a camel, that'd be awesome. What year would that be? Twenty twenty video, nineteen eighty eight. Okay, so you, that's good because, I you you would have missed me coming in there and making a sharp left. When I entered the 2020 video into the adult section, that'd be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) All that from the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. That's amazing. That's quite quite a ride. uh, Here we go. This is your song number two. Why you pick this song? Safety pin. Because I love chicks with crimson lips, Mm. Maggie. Oh, is that it? (laughs) Yeah. Cleveland Rocks? Cleveland Rocks, because, of course, I was born there. Ian Hunter. Uh, Ian Hunter, who wrote it about Cleveland. uh, And the first rock and roll show was done in Cleveland. It was the Moondog Coronation Ball. That's my Y-Tunes nugget for you, by the way. There you go. Wow. 1955, I believe. 
What what is the number? Was it fifty three verbatim? Well, I will talk while Maggie reads. Um, Alan Freed opens this track, if you listen to it, and he says, uh, Welcome to the King of the Moondog Show, you know, mm-hmm. and that was what his show was called, the Moondog Show. Mm-hmm. And so they did the Moondog Coronation Ball, and they played rock and roll records, which back at the t- in the day, if you went into a music store to listen to it, they were labeled as uh, race records. You know, rhythm and blues, black artists. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what it was called, race records. They would literally call them race records. Correct. That would be, there'd be a sign, this is the race records well, not the, but mm-hmm. we'd say race records. Race that's record. what they were known as. But uh-huh. he had heard the phrase rock and roll, so he coined the phrase rock and roll commercially on radio to mm-hmm. say, this is rock and roll music. So you, mm-hmm. you know, you're crossing over with uh, Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. So you're getting rhythm and blues. You're getting a bit of country, maybe honky-tonk. Then you've got Buddy Holly. You've got Elvis Presley. And so if you really listen to the music, it's, it's a hybrid that would develop into artists like The Who and The Stones and The Beatles. Uh, and who was hearing Alan Freed outside of, uh, of Cleveland? Well, it depends on the wattage mm-hmm. in how many cities he got to. Mm-hmm. Certainly it would have gotten into Pennsylvania, uh, perhaps Detroit. But then he'd go on the road, right? He'd take people on tours. He would take, yeah, he would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Elvis Presley's first rock and roll show was Cleveland. Really? Not many people know that. Um, Alan Freed would then go on to be hired by one of the New York radio stations and get caught up in a payola scandal. That's right. And he was a sacrificial lamb for that, unfortunately, because yeah. it was very common. Mm-hmm. And then he would uh, die a penniless, a sad, sick alcoholic. How old do you think he was? When he did you know? I don't know offhand. I would guess he was maybe in his forties. Isn't the film American Hot Wax based on Alan Freed? It might be. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I never saw it. Yeah, to yeah. be fair. Yeah, but I picked Cleveland Rocks because uh, at it, the does. Time, it does. It mm-hmm. does. And when I was growing up, we had every concert that would come th- through across you know through the U.S. would always go through Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And part of it also has to do with the history of um, how. Well, the railway system and the waterway system was set up uh, commercially uh, and industrially in America. Okay. So because of that, it, you know, it was like a crossroads also for music and entertainment. Indianapolis, they, they, they tried to coin that. It's just not true. They did? Yeah. Really? They're the crossroads of America. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, there might be something to it, but I don't know what it is. No, it's Cleveland. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> and they would break uh, major acts. They broke David Bowie. Mm-hmm. They broke Rush. They broke broke Bruce Springsteen. Um, so at the time I was growing up as a kid, you know, I was hearing everything. And FM radio, uh, as opposed to AM, was free form and starting to con- compete with am radio which had been the standard Mm -hmm. but as you know being in in radio fm frequency modulation Mm -hmm. um greater bandwidth Mm -hmm. you could hear it further uh and so then these jocks were playing different things that you couldn't hear on am which would have been the standardized top 40 radio format the kind of stuff that you know a lot of people are exposed to today that they don't have to think about but they listen to and they're told to like it and they're told that it's what's hot Mm. But with FM radio, we got to hear all kinds of things. And that's why people like Bowie and Ian Hunter, who wrote this, who was in Mott the Hoople when they toured America, Mm -hmm. loved coming to Cleveland. And they were taken care of quite well, and they were, you know, beloved. There's some speculation about this song that he actually wrote it 
for England, like England rocks. I think he did originally, didn't he? Right. But then he goes on record a lot and he says, no, Cleveland was our first sold out show ever. And it was written for Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, what was your favorite FM station growing up? Uh, well, when I was in junior high, it was uh, WGCL and that was more kind of top 40 is GCL but did they G, have like, uh, G98 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 with Tim Bird the Birdman and there was another guy who's a voice actor I know named Townsend Coleman who I used to listen to on G98 and uh but then I got into MMS and WMMS and M105 who you know kind of were um, against each other and uh, MMS of course became one of the most popular radio stations in America and won the best radio station in America many years in a row, mm-hmm. according to Rolling Stone poll, was poll readers, writers, listeners, mm-hmm. and MMS was it for me. And I got to listen to, you know, all kinds of great stuff. We had Kid Leo, who would give you the mm-hmm. Friday lineup that included Born to Run, Cleveland Rocks, Friday on My Mind, mm-hmm. not by the Easy Beats, but I'm um, forgetting the other band. And uh, Pat Travers, Boom Boom, Out Go the Lights. Mm. Uh, and then like, was it like Midnight, we'd listen to Maggot Brain by Funkadelic, <sighs> which if you've never listened to that, you no, must. No, I like, like Funkadelic. but Ten I minutes long. You, maggot you, Brain. It's like an acid trip, kind of what we experienced earlier in this interview. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the blah, 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 blah. You know, yes, Mother Earth is coming. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> oh, you figured out how to do Mother it. Mother Earth. Yeah. We got to... <laughs> Let's just do a ra- let's just do a radio show, <laughs> an after midnight type radio show that your parents don't want you to listen. to. I hear that, and all I want to do is Jim Morrison. Yeah. You know, doing a Morrison impression. Cleveland for me has a, a sort of a, a strange memory. I, I I started drinking in Ithaca, New York, as yeah. a, as a bartender on a shift, and I came out of a blackout in Highland Heights. Well, that's right where. Uh, it's five minutes from where I grew up. One of my dear friends, Carrie J. Prusa. Uh, fellow actor and he's a new york guy now uh but yeah i came i came to in highland heights oh my god and then proceeded to have the greatest 48 hours with uh jennifer gruel <laughs> who i happened to meet the night that i blacked out i wish i knew she's, these she's from she's from uh she's from shaker heights oh well but we went to, to Highland, and then we were in the flats and i do the flats yeah yeah the flats they were that amazing was, back that then. was it's not that way anymore right no and you that was a place you hung out oh yeah we partied hard the down. flats the flats oh, god you go to the flats down on the banks of the Cuyahoga River, mm-hmm. and there was a particular club that we wanted to get into, and if it was too packed, we'd go all the way down around the end past Fagan's Bar, and we would scale the fence along the river's edge oh, and to come in the back of the club mm-hmm. and sneak in over the fence. Well, they got hip to that, so they didn't mind that we were risking life and limb. Mm. They just stood there and waited for us to take the money. You know, uh, the, the, yeah, the cover yeah, yeah. to yeah. get in. So yeah. we were cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nicer to go over the fence. And there, yeah. yeah, and there was the poos and, oh God, there was all kind of places. But I got to say a uh, shout-out to Marco Gambatis, who's a friend of mine um, from Highland Heights and who is living there now, too, and a lot of my friends back there. He was a guy that was hip to a lot of different music and new music. And I remember being science partners with him in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about the Eagles and the uh, – who else? Was, I don't know who I was talking about. The Eagles' long run had just come out, and he was talking to me about the police and Devo. Mm. Wow. And so I was like, oh, yeah, let me check him out. Mm-hmm. So through your friends, you get to hear other stuff too. And uh, 
he was always cutting edge, and he's a great photographer and artist. And still in Highland Heights. Still in Highland Heights. Very man. cool. Very cool. I ha- from the flats, I have a white T-shirt with red lettering that says "Stop Making Sense" from the Talking, talking Heads store. Yeah, that I bought at the flats. Two years ago, I'm home. My mom goes, hey, I got a bunch of your old clothes that I've had in this basket. Do you want to go through and see what they are? And, and I found this white T-shirt oh. with Stop Making Sense. That's amazing. It is it? amazing. Did you keep it? Yeah, I've definitely kept oh, okay. it. It's at Ma's, but I'm, it's just one of those things that at some point when we're settled, the wife and I in our permanent home, it'll uh-huh. go into like a you know a, an archival like frame or something. Or something yeah, because yeah, it is such... <laughs> poignant time of my life I was, i'm glad amazing. i got to touch cleveland really yeah am. man yeah and that was a special time <sighs> totally but yeah. you know we can always go there again and i'll show you both a special time <laughs> <laughs> speaking of special time it's time for song number three yeah Radio DJ voice intro this song. That was Hollywood Boulevard by American Noise right here on MMS. Coming up next, the police and their new release, Zenyatta Mandata. <laughs> that was amazing. All right, American Noise, Hollywood Boulevard. Why did you pick this song? Where does it take you? Yeah. Well, uh, it was 1980, uh, Cleveland, a Cleveland artist. Uh, they released this track on an album by a safe self-titled debut album called American Noise. Mm-hmm. They were on Planet Records, shared by only two other artists at the time, the Plim Souls and the Pointer Sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, these they, they were a subsidiary of another um, uh, record company, which escapes me at the time. But they Electric were, or Electra. Was it Electra? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, did her homework. I did. I love it. That's Maggie Mayfield. Maggie Mayfield, ladies and gentlemen, she's an honorary Mayfield person from Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to get her, you know, just one of those certificates from you get from the Wildcats, which is what I'm a Wildcat. So now wow. you're a Wildcat, okay? You know, Mayfield, green and white. Go, cats, go. I was a Vicuro, green and blue. What's a Vicuro? I finished Oof. high school here in Orange County. Yeah. And it's a Mexican cowboy. Is it? Yeah. Not oh. racist at all. <laughs> I don't even want a, a vaquero. A vaquero. It's just a cowboy. Like a caballero? I don't know. Oh. Vaqueros. That's mm-hmm. what we would. Vaquero! Over here! I'd rather be a wildcat. Yeah, well, you can be. You're an honorary. You're an honorary one. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat. So suddenly I'm Elma Fudd. You're wonderful. 
Um, but they, uh, American Noise were played a lot on Cleveland radio. Um, they were a great local act. And uh, the songs they played were Take It All and Running Through the Night. And I just listened, you know, listened to that album, and that song always struck me, my heart. It, it, I just thought it was a beautiful, poignant ballad that talks about someone, you know, who is looking for some degree of success. They say they don't want to be a star, but they, you can tell they want some degree of fame. And as it goes along further in the song, it talks about all the people who would be stars up and down the boulevards, plural, since there are boulevards everywhere, mm-hmm. um, if they could, if they only could. Mm-hmm. And there's something else about Craig, the late Craig Balzer's lead vocal that uh, just has a lot of passion and a nice texture reminiscent of, you know, kind of Rod Stewart, um, that uh, it just it hits the right spot. It is like the perfect pop song. Yeah. It is it's like I'm surprised that they didn't go further. It's it's really sad actually that their record company they just signed on with the wrong company really because they went out of business is what happened and yeah. they couldn't promote them nationally, which is why they didn't do well. But you listen to it, it's like it's like the perfect rom-com. You're like, "Oh, I got everything out of that song that I wanted." Yeah. It's just it's sad that they didn't I know. Go farther. And the drummer, Tommy Rich, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's no relation to Buddy Rich, but just as good. He's a cross between like Ringo Starr and uh, Keith Moon. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and that would not have been a single, even though it's something if I was, you know, managing, I would have said, you got to put that one out there. Yeah. And But, you know, the piano, too, is reminiscent of Roy Bitten from the E Street Band. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just... So where does it take you? What does it make you think of? Where are you when you hear this song? Well, I mean, it's something that's lived with me all all over the years, and I never knew I was going to end up in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. The band came out here and recorded the album in Hollywood, and I think they co-wrote the song with Kim Fowley. That's a whole other podcast. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, it's romantic, and it makes me think of, you know, when it says you and me, it makes me think of, you know, in this case, a particular ex, but it could be exes. You know, when you're yeah. alone and you see a couple and it takes you back to a time. And there are many times it's taken me back to, depending on my mood and state of mind. Sure. You know, and I think it's that way for anyone. So right. so it's a take back, but it also is kind of a talisman to where you are now in yes. Hollywood. And like with your success and all of this stuff. While you were first hearing this song, this it wasn't necessarily a motivator. Like, I want to be someone successful on the boulevard when you were first exposed to this song. Right. I didn't know no. what yeah. that meant. Right, right. Okay. No. Okay. And I was more into the other tracks. Okay. But as a songwriter, which yeah. I'm also, it grew on me, you know, mm-hmm. as these album tracks tend to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I found the heart of it and went, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. All right, shall we move on song number four? I had a feeling you were going there. That's why I just got quiet. It's like right in a row. Yeah, no, that's fine. But there's no easy way around it. Light of the world, shine on me. Love is the This is not the radio version. Well, this, this actually, what you recognize is probably the cover by England Dan and John Ford Coley. That's why this is... New for me. Right. Yeah, okay. But this was written by Todd Rundgren. Okay. um, Performed with his band Utopia. Uh And um, I saw him live in concert 
just two years ago, again with my friend Marco Gambatis, back in Cleveland. Uh-huh. And the show, I, I, I saw it two nights in a row. The show was so good that I saw the first night, I bought tickets and went the second night with him, second row. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the show, when Todd's singing three or four in a row, when he's singing Love is the Answer, it's one of the most profound moments I've ever experienced in a live concert. Mm. The energy, the love, the presence he has, it's almost like he's a, a, a lightning rod to the spirit. Mm. And he's you know reaching to people as they're reaching up to touch his hand and shake hands. And he was almost like uh, you know, like a call and response of a, a Baptist preacher in a way. And mm. I, you know, shook his hand as he was singing and could feel the electricity. Wow! It was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. You know, it was a spiritual experience and it was beautiful. What was the venue? Um, that would have been at the Roxino in Northfield, Ohio. Wow! Wow! Yeah. How did you find this? Well, I was back uh, at the time. I can't recall if I was living there then or not, but I or visiting. But I looked it up online, and I've always wanted to see him uh, since I was a kid in the 70s when I was too young to go to the concerts. Uh, and it said, Utopia, touring, first time in 32 years. Wow. And I had grown in a great obsession with them, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, where I was watching like these DVDs of Utopia videos, concerts, and got into Todd as a solo artist and said, one day, someday, I'll go. That was the time. Mm-hmm. And they did early Utopia music in the first half, which was 70s, more prog rock, and the second half, which started like 1980, more pop rock, mm-hmm. and accessible, and then he did his solo hits at the end. It was oh, man. the most extraordinary experience anyone could have. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Um. When you hear it today, what is it? What does it make you think of? I mean, it makes me tear up. Um, it just reminds me that you know, all are one, and one is all. You know, it's about love. Mm-hmm. You know, and trying to think of love as an action, which that's another one of his songs, the verb to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and love is an action, and I know whenever I'm in the action or act of love which can be as simple as kindness to a stranger on the street or someone behind the counter uh, of some place that you're purchasing something, whether it's a 7-Eleven or a Starbucks, and you're loving to them, kind to them. You're in an act of love, and yeah. there there is some form of a love connection. And it doesn't matter how they, res- how they react or respond. Mm-hmm. It just matters what we're putting out there. And that's to me, is love. And it reminds me to be loving to all, uh, especially when I'm in a place of perhaps anxiety or fear. And that's usually what comes up for people when they react instead of respond, is yeah. fear. And on the other side of fear is anger. So if we can pause when agitated, then we have an opportunity to maybe respond differently and not just see red and go into fight or flight. So if love truly is the answer, which I believe it is, and it's what everybody wants, Mm -hmm. be in love. Familially, platonically, romantically, or professionally. Mm -hmm. Just be in love. And even casually. And casually, yeah. And and where does this sensibility or consciousness, do you think, where was the seed 
that that enabled you to be the kind of a person that can access this? Because I I like to think of myself as a loving person. Yeah. But two nights ago at work, I was not a loving person. Right. I was like a very sensitive and you know, I would even say angry person. And you know, I had to do the uh, the apology afterward. Like, okay, so you know, I was wrong or whatever the case may be. But I I myself do try and 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 find that sensibility of of loving a person. I've never quite thought of it that way to be kind and gentle to a person in a casual exchange like at Starbucks. How did you get there or and, and are you there most of the time? Like what happened in your life that gave you that consciousness? Are you able I cause I don't know for me. My mother and dad were both hippies, so maybe that's part of it, but well then uh well, for me it was mind it's become mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I can't cite or, or attribute any one particular book, philosopher, mm-hmm. uh, preacher, or teacher, because I've studied many. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly some of what I'm saying uh, comes from uh, the 12-step format mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some of the literature that I read and know because I keep that, the 12 steps in the center of my life, mm-hmm. and I live that. Um, but it can be taken from... Again, any re- philosophy, any religion, um, it's a spiritual uh, axiom that if I have a problem with any person, place, or thing, I have a problem. So uh, instead of being in fear and at effect, mm-hmm. I try to be in love and be a cause. Um, and, you know, I work at it. I can't say I'm in it all the time, but mm-hmm. I really try to live it and lean in because the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to go around or running away or withdrawing, it doesn't do anything but leave us alone. In fact, Rundgren talks about it in his lyrics or sings that we are all lonely people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're afraid, love one another. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's it's mindfulness, it's consciousness, it's practice, it's co- sometimes contrary action. And I think for a lot of us, certainly me, is that when I heard the concept of like, you can choose to restart your day, you can choose to, you know, do do a do over, so to speak. And like, you're I'm I'm in a shitty mood or whatever the case may be. And I don't want to be. I think, again, speaking for myself, I I, I fought so hard against it. You can't choose that. An emotion is emotion. It's emotions are stronger than you. But I've come to realize that making a choice to be loving, to be forgiving, to be gentle, to be peaceful, sometimes the choice doesn't immediately get a response. You don't you don't get the reaction. You have to choose and choose and choose and choose and choose and choose over and over. It yeah. takes practice, I guess. Well, it does. Yeah. And I, I was reminded today, today too, uh, that there was someone I forgave, and uh, I was asked, well, have you forgiven yourself? Mm. And in this particular instance, I, I had to pause, and I went, hmm... I don't know. Mm. I've accepted myself. I don't know if I've forgiven myself just yet. I could, and I'll have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there are believers out there, they say God forgives, you know. God forgives you already. You just have to forgive yourself. And I find that harder to forgive myself than anything else. Yeah. But again, I, I do go back to, I oftentimes I can be very literal and when I listen to his song, you know, the verb to love, love is the answer, mm-hmm. love in action, that's when I kind of came up with my own concept of, well, if I'm always in love, in the act, then it's only, it only makes sense that things are going to go well 
even if somebody snubs me or doesn't get it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you're still extending that energy. Yeah. Right? And the music is the jumper cables that we need for our batteries. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely for me. Well, and Absolutely. lyrically, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's poetry, yeah. you know, once you really hear it. True, true, true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm sorry to say this is our last song, song number five. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look. Sounds familiar. Is that me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is. Wow. The snozberries. The snozberries taste <laughs> like snozberries. Did they you pick do. that on, on purpose? Uh, yes. Okay. Because of that movie? Did I nail it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because uh, two reasons. I love the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Gene Wilder. I'm a huge Gene Wilder fan. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. What's going on here? Oh, you drank fizzy lifting drink. You lose. <laughs> You're a horrible man, Wonka. You've broken a poor boy's dreams. <sighs> you lose. Good day, sir. I said good day. Um, yeah, because of that and uh, the band The Raspberries, who were out of Cleveland oh. with Eric Carmen. Mm. Okay. And so I love pure power pop music and I love that movie and Snozberries taste like Snozberries, right? Okay, yeah. So I thought, well, it's a perfect name for a band. Yeah. And it's a fictional band of three brothers uh, who are from Liverpool, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I play Winston. R. Scott Vaughn plays Remington, and Cody Schmidt plays Orville. Mm, Orville. Yeah. And uh, they had success as uh, you know kids with a, a fabulous group, and then they hit the skids. Um, Winston went on to get clean. Uh, what's his name? Um, Orville stayed the kind of uh, stoner, insular character that he is. Yeah a kind of a happy-go-lucky guy who says silly things but doesn't know they're silly uh-huh. and says things that seem dumb or innocuous, but they're actually philosophical. And then there's Remington, who is the angry ginger or redhead, who resents his brother Winston mm. for the attention and fame that I got as the front man to the band. Yeah. And what happens is they come together to have a, a reunion and uh, we have a reunion tour of the songs that inspired them, uh, songs from radio, TV, and film, and then songs that they wrote together. Wow! So yeah, and this Quite can all be this, yeah. can, this can all be seen on YouTube. Well, uh, this particular song can be seen on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also did a cover of "If I Only Had a Brain," mm-hmm. nice. which is either there or it's on our official Snozberries. Facebook page. Oh, there's a Snozberries Facebook page. Yes. There you go. S-N-O-Z-Z-B-E-R-R-I-E-S. You can also follow us so on So this Insta- is more than Instagram. a guilty pleasure. This is an actually fully produced uh, concept experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that started out here in Southern California, but I brought it back with me to Cleveland when I lived there for a couple of years mm-hmm. and you know, put this together with the boys. And um, it's something that we're knocking around to possibly pitch uh, as a show. It could be... It could be a cartoon, but we also like the idea of it being a uh, rock and roll jukebox or jukebox musical, Yeah. Mm-hmm. which if you know what that is, it, for the audience members who don't know what that means, the first filmic jukebox musical of original numbers was A Hard Day's Night. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, 
in the music world, uh, rock uh, jukebox musicals would be like Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. So you have a story and a lot of songs hung upon the framework uh, to yeah. tell that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something we've been working on, but had put away once it became necessary for me to be back here in Los Angeles or mm-hmm. Hollywood specifically. And uh, it came to me because, I, I, again, I, I, I love Wilder so much, the late, great Gene Wilder, that Willy Wonka, this project, which, again, is all about that, the kind of love and innocence that we had as children, mm-hmm. you know? And we touched upon that with you going to see your, uh, at being an aunt. You have a niece? Or two nieces, You have yeah. two nieces, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, you get to play with them, and so then you're on their level, aren't you? Oh, yeah. It's, so you get to play It's magic, again. yeah. It is magic. Yeah. It's pure imagination. Yes. And so... They're the best to play with, but the worst at improv. Of course. It's <laughs> like, they don't want to yes and anything. No, they I'm don't. Like, no, it's my way. <laughs> All like, right. Let's try that again. Yeah. <laughs> Would you lay an assumption right now? I'd be Fine. Like, <laughs> we'll play dolls the way you want to play dolls. Yeah, <laughs> God, you control yeah. freak. I mean, they're right. really, they're selfish. Let's be honest. Exactly. You're going to be That's wasting your time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so the, the Snozberries, are they uh, uh, now formed in L.A.? Or was this a Cleveland project? That you were Originally, in? it was formed in L.A., uh-huh. uh, myself and Robbie Rist. Uh-huh. Uh, Many years ago, we were both oh, okay. in different bands, right. and we started as a duo for a, an evening of um, uh, pop artists were doing Christmas songs. Oh, okay. And so we needed a name, and the Snozberries was a name I'd come up with for another band that they didn't want to use. Oh, okay. So we used it, uh-huh. and we carried on doing successive shows here in Los Angeles, uh, Troubadour, Whiskey, blah, blah, blah. How cool. And comedy shows, too. We yeah. crossed over, like yourself. And um, then when... Scott and I met when I was visiting Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We added him as a third member, and then Robbie got too busy, and then he was uninterested. So Scott said, why don't we take it over? Mm-hmm. And we did. And that's that. And then we added Cody, who is cool. Orville, and then it became what it, <laughs> it is. Yeah, It's a lot of names to keep track of. I oh, know. Wow. What a fun day five. This has been yeah. really cool to get to know you through your songs, so yeah. thank you for sharing all that. We're yeah. going to take a brain break and let David take over with a game we call Band Name or Bar Name. That's right. This is the exclusive original once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you, the listener, to listen to Quentin and Maggie go head-to-head in the internationally famous original game show, which is really just kind of dumb. Is it the name of the band or is it the name of a bar? Ooh. Yes, this was originated actually in New York back in the day when I used to read the Village Voice on stage. And oh I would goodness. say, am I reading the name of a band or am I reading the name of a bar? And the audience has just loved it. And now we have adopted it here I like at Y-Tune Shuffle. So uh, last week's guest, Mark Atherley, who is a mutual friend of yeah. Quentin Isnard's. Dear friend, and yes. And now awesome. uh, Maggie's yeah. as well, uh, took us to San Francisco, California, uh, a home that he... Well, he lived in San Fran for a while. Sure. So I have spent uh, all week, uh, a few minutes before this broadcast, researching bands and bars in the San Francisco area. Now, we're imagining right now that you, Maggie, and I are in San Francisco. Oh, it's a little cold. I need a sweater. It is cold. Yeah, yeah isn't it weird? It's yeah. really cold. I love it's, the it's breeze, It's their winter though. now. Our summer is their winter. I go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to suggest that we go see the band The Saloon, because mm. they are rocking. And they're going to be playing at Zena tonight so we can go to Zena we'll see the saloon and uh, we'll have a great time I could just as easily say let's go hear the band Zena I mean it's a rocking band I I, I highly I've heard it's highly recommended and they're playing at the saloon Zena sounds like Zima 
Zena. Yeah, Zena. Oh, it's Zena? Zena. Yeah, I'm saying Zena sounds like Zima, which is to say it should be a sparkly alcoholic beverage and not a band or a bar. In now, my opinion, this <laughs> this is a whole new direction for band name and bar name. Yeah. And as you said earlier, Quentin, that's a whole different podcast. You're right, it is. <laughs> well, so is is the name of the band the Saloon, or is that the name of the actual bar that we're going to go to to see the band Zena, or is Zena the name of the club and the Saloon is the name of the band, or something like that? Which is the bar name and which is the band do name? Do we do this together or independent of each other? It can be either or. Either or. You don't have to agree. You don't have to agree. Well, no, it just seems like uh, Zena is the obvious band name mm-hmm. and the saloon would be the place. But it yeah. seems like with Dave, he would work against that and possibly go to really mess with you. Yeah. And I'm thinking the saloon is the shittiest band name I've ever heard. It is a really terrible band name. But, we, but, but I think it's going to be that obvious. I yeah. think you're right. It is just that. Should we say that then? Um, yeah, we don't have to agree, but yeah, that's the way I would go. Which is what I was thinking as well. They probably would think that that's what I was doing. But if you're at 1232 oh, no. Grant Avenue, San Francisco... In a building that was built circa 1861, you'd be at the saloon, which is really what it is. It's not a bait and switch. It's not a red herring. It's the real thing. And I've never done it, but I've always wanted to do it. You did it. I'm so happy I sucked you guys in on it. You did. I'm such a loser. You're a clever bastard. Oh, I'm a clever (laughs) bastard indeed. Zayna is an up-and-coming pop starlet and has performed with award-winning SAH. SHS Jazz Band has a local musician concert on San Francisco. She is currently a senior at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Zayna's unique style fuses Arabic and Latin influences to create what she calls gypsy pop that she accompanies with hip shaking belly dancing moves. That's been band name or bar name. I'm sorry I was so devious and malicious and sucked you guys into a a bait and switch. Uh, Quentin, your job now is to take us anywhere in the world for me to research the names of bands and bars, local, of course, so that we can play next week on Y-Tune Shuffle, band name or bar name. Does it have to be in this country? Mm, anywhere in the world. How about Manchester, England? Manchester, England, England. That's where we're going to go. Winchester Cathedral. <laughs> that's well. That's it's in my head. <laughs> so that's where we're going to go. Manchester, England. Thank you very much, Quinn, for playing it's my band pleasure. name or bar name. Yeah. Okay. Thinking very hard. We'd love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. Oh, um... There are two, uh, because the very first concert experience, my mom and dad, lovingly, bless them, took my brother and I to see um, Beatlemania. Ah, I saw it at the Winter Garden in New York. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's hard to say. Is that officially a concert or not? It's a concert experience. Okay. Right? It's it's the closest thing you'd ever get to the Beatles in a theatrical concert experience and concert venue. It's a good question because it's a show. Right. And it's a theater show. Right. And you have to buy a ticket and stay in your seat. Yeah. And and then the the multimedia stuff. So it's hard to say. It's hard to say. But I I, I have to say it was my first live musical rock experience Mm -hmm. seeing who I'd want to see. But my first rock concert without my folks was Mm -hmm. in 1979. And it was Journey. Oh! And the babies were supposed to open up for them, but they, uh, I think they had some trouble on the road getting to Cleveland. And this is cool. There was a local band called Breathless, which if you remove the R, the H, and the S, you get the word Beatles. 
Ah. And uh, the leader of the band was a guy named Jonah Coslin, who's a friend of mine, a uh, brilliant singer-songwriter who used to be in the Michael Stanley Band. And they were a hot ticket in 1979 with their uh, self-titled debut album, Breathless. Mm. They opened up, and they were phenomenal. Mm. Cool. Mm. Who did you go with? Do you remember? I went with Mike Bogo, uh, his brother Dan. I forget who else, someone else. But Mike told me that their dad was going to drive. Mm-hmm. And so I told my parents, Mr. Bogo's going to drive. And then Dan picked me up, and I go, where's your dad? Uh-huh. Oh, he's not here. I'm like, but, but I told my parents your dad was driving and going to be there. I must get out of this car and yeah. go directly back into the house. Yeah. And they're like, well, you don't. They don't have to know. I'm like, but they'll know. Uh, I think they figured it out, but I, I felt terrible. But yeah. it was a great show, and I still have the jersey. Oh, oh, really? It was the Infinity Tour, which predates evolution. So it was Wheel in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's the other one? Lights. San Francisco. When the lights go, go down, down in the city. One of us can sing. <laughs> oh, we both did. We, we can all sing. Yes, yes, yes. All right, what about the uh, the last concert you went to, last show you saw? Uh, that would have been the... Wait, 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 was it? I think it was the Who at the Hollywood Bowl and Liam Gallagher opened up. Oh, my mm. gosh. Yeah. That was pretty... That was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, it was the best I've ever heard Roger sing. Mm. It was the fourth time I've seen The Who. Wow. And, um, yeah, the first time I saw it was their first final tour. Well, that's uh-huh. I was just about to say, because that's amazing you saw the Hollywood Bowl, because I saw their final tour. So did I. In 1983 <laughs> at Rich Stadium in Buffalo, New York. The Clash opened up. Yeah. And, and David I, Johansson. Oh, yeah. cool. We didn't see The Clash. We saw Public Image Limited <sighs> with Johnny Lydon. May the road rise with you. Mm-hmm. He's like, anger is an energy. <laughs> and it is. Tis. You know. Well, what's your corner of the internet? Someone wants to talk more music with you. How do we get in touch with you? Well, on Instagram, it's Quentin Flynn one. It would have been Quentin Flynn, but. Somebody else. Somebody, a, there's a baby. <laughs> okay. Oh, who geez. doesn't post. Just yeah. shits its diaper. Yeah. Selfish. Jerk. And as we know, cannot improvise. No. <laughs> So, you know, Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-F-L-Y-N-N-1. Uh, or go to Twitter, which is Quentin Flynn, at, at Quentin Flynn. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Well, yeah. yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for everything. And your home. And you your let us home? into your home. I know, it's dark out now, mm. which means the helicopters you heard earlier are saying that there's traffic nearby. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what they're saying. Y- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in the air. I'm your traffic reporter, and you want to get home real soon to avoid that gunfire. Uh, apple cider. Uh, where are we? <laughs> Crossroads Crossfire. Hello. David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood Secret Weapon. You've been the best co-host. You are the best co-host ever. Thank you so much. Love you, Maggie. Quinn Flynn, thank you so much for your time and your energy. I've been Maggie Mayfield. If you haven't already, please thank like, you. subscribe, and share. We're on all the socials at Y-Tunes Shuffle. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Y2 Shuffle.